We hope you enjoy our homily podcast. Please consider supporting the ministry of Our Lady of Lourdes by donating to the Future Full of Hope Capital Campaign at lourdesdenver.org. We are so grateful for your support. Good morning, everyone. So today we celebrate the uh, Feast of Epiphany. And Epiphany, like all good things in life, is uh, from the Greek. So Epiphany means appearance, revelation, manifestation, something like that in the Greek. But today, in the modern world, I want to wrestle with you uh, with, with a question that was ancient. It's a question that goes back to the beginnings of Catholicism. And it's a very urgent question right now. And if you want to cast today's feast in modern terms, we, if, we, if Christianity started today and it started in English, we would call today's feast the Feast of Inclusivity. That's what we would call it. Don't act so excited. <laughs> I know some of you kind of gagged. You're like, oh, such a buzzword. It really is. Today is the Feast of Inclusivity, and I want to wrestle with you about what that means. Uh, <clears throat> I just, I remember one year, I, th- I think it was probably on this feast, you know that song, All Are Welcome? This means yes, this means no. All are welcome, all are welcome, all are welcome in this place. I hate that song. <laughs> and if you like it, like we can fight after mass. Um, I hate that song. And I've actually forbidden it from Lords, but I don't think our musicians would pick it anyways. But the reason I hate that song is because when I hear it, it sounds to me like what we're saying is, oh, you don't have to obey Jesus. You can do whatever you want to do. And I think some of us, we get nervous when we hear the word inclusivity, because in the modern world, inclusivity means no one ever has to change. No one has to be challenged. Today's homily isn't about that. Today we're going to go the other direction, and I want to talk about why it's important. But here's just the one caveat. That is not what I'm saying. Everyone is welcome in the church of Jesus Christ. Everyone. Not on their own terms. Not on your terms. Not on my terms. Not on yours. On Jesus' terms. Okay. But we're going to go the opposite direction today. So, when you first become a priest, it's like, our lives are so weird. It's, it's so strange I'm a priest. It just freaks me out. Um, but, but one of the, the things you, you have to start getting used to is being seen in public in your collar. And I don't know that I'll ever 100% get used to it. I'm more used to it now than I was. A group of my priest friends and I went out to dinner after um, the Mass here for Mary Mother of God, and we went down to Adelita's on uh, Broadway, which is just a fun little Mexican place. Um, and the hostess just kept staring at us. And you just can't help but notice. And, I, you know, you kind of brush it off because it's like we're a good-looking group of guys. <laughs> you can't help it. <laughs> but when I was an, a young priest in my first two years, it's really rattling. And what happens is as a priest, you just never know what's going to come your way. And you get both sides. Sometimes people are so thrilled that a priest will actually wear his collar in public. Uh, And it's wonderful. And people come and affirm them. And sometimes people who have great wounds uh, from the church will also approach you. And you just just never know what you're going to get. 
Well, early on in my priesthood, I remember I had, in my first two years sometime in there, I had a plane flight somewhere. I don't remember where I was going. And I was in my collar, and I was kind of nervous. And when I get on a a plane in my collar, um, one of two things is going to happen. The the person sitting next to me is either going to want to talk the entire plane flight, or they kind of stop when they see their seat number, and they see me, and they're like, Headphones go in, don't make eye contact, right? Just hope to get through the flight. And that, that's when I'm like, I kind of look at him, I'm like, hey, <laughs> want to talk about Jesus? <laughs> but this time on this flight, a, a, a young girl who was, I don't know, maybe about 12 sat next to me. And, as, and she wanted to talk. And as the plane kind of took off and we started talking, uh, she told me that she was a Baptist, and I was a bit of a mythical creature for her, because she had been raised and, and taught a lot of things about the dangers of the Catholic Church, and so priests were kind of these mythical creatures out there, and she just was like, I can't believe you're a priest. I'm like, me neither, <laughs> um, but, but we talked, and she had lots of questions. It was delightful. She was a, a wonderful young woman. And she had all kinds of questions about the Catholic Church. Well, what always happens when there's a conversation and I'm in my collar is that on an airplane, people all around you start taking out their earphones for the most part, and they want to hear. So I, could, I was just conscious that, you know, rows, there's a radius around us of people listening to our conversation. So I was on the aisle seat, she was in the middle, and then at the window seat... There was another young woman, but older. She was probably mid to late 20s. And I could feel that she was really disturbed. And I could tell that my conversation with this 12-year-old was bothering her. And it was one of those moments where you, you could feel the tension within her. And so we're talking, and at one point, you know, I explained to the, the, the young girl, the 12-year-old, that The word Catholic means universal, which is what today's feast is about. It means that the truth of Jesus Christ is not just for you or for me. It's for every man, woman, and child in every culture at all times. And so I told her, I said, my great hope and the the mission of my life is I think every human being should be Catholic because I believe it's the truth. And at that point, the the 20-something, she just couldn't take it anymore. And she burst into the conversation. And she was clearly upset. And she she said, how could you possibly desire that? Why do you want everyone just to be like you? And it was a good question. And I don't know if I answered it well that day. But that's the question I want to talk with you about today. And that's what our feast today is about. In the modern world today, so today's feast, the Feast of Inclusivity, the wise men, the Magi, they come from the East. They are not Jews. And they come to worship Christ. And they are welcomed into the New Covenant. A covenant basically means who's in the family. And the good news today is that everyone is welcome into the family. 
And so today is that feast of inclusivity. But her question was, doesn't inclusivity, if you want everyone to be Catholic, doesn't that mean that we lose everything else? Doesn't it mean we lose diversity? Doesn't it mean we lose other cultures? And I hope you'll wrestle with me about this question this morning because it's an incredibly important question through all of time, but especially today. Lots of people today think that when you and I say, oh, people should be Catholic, this is what they hear. So, I want to introduce you to someone. His name is Balthazar. Balthazar wrote this wonderful book, and you don't have to read it. Just the title says everything. And I've referenced this before. Sometimes I use it as an um, analogy for marriage. But Balthazar wrote this book about today's question. And the book is called Truth is Symphonic. Truth is Symphonic. So Balthazar says this. He says, symphony means sounding together. He says, a a bass trumpet is not the same as a piccolo. I don't even know what a piccolo is, but I know it's not a bass trumpet. Somebody will tell me after Mass. A bass trumpet is not the same as a piccolo, and a cello is not a bassoon. The difference between the instruments must be as striking as possible. Mozart is the absolute master of this. His violin, horn, or clarinet concertos always succeed in bringing out the pure essence of the instrument concerned. Here's what Balthazar is saying. He's saying in one of those great concertos of Mozart, I know you were listening to one this morning. In those great concertos, the instrument, right, so the bassoon is not lost. You know it's there. You can hear the bassoon. The piano does not drown it out. His violin, horn, or clarinet concertos always succeed in bringing out the pure essence of the instrument concerned. In the symphony, however, all the instruments are integrated in a whole sound. And one more quote, and we'll flush this out. And in this analogy, what Balthazar is saying is this, is he's saying, is it possible? Is it possible that there could be a place where all of us can sing together? Where there is a unity, but it's not a simple unity. It's not a unity where my voice is lost, but where there's a harmony. And what he wants to tell us today is that the Catholic Church is a place where there is truth that's big enough for everyone. So the Chinese do not have to lose their culture, or the Peruvians, or the Canadians if they have one, right? (laughs) They don't have... Sorry, Canadians. Um, That is all you're going to remember from my sermon. But they don't lose themselves. This is important. And when you become a Catholic, you don't lose yourself. There's a truth that is beautiful enough. There is a conductor of a symphony 
where the clarinet and the piano and the harpsichord and the cello, where all of them belong and they're integrated in harmony. So Balthazar says the musicians, right, the cultures, the people who become Catholic in this analogy, they stand or sit at first next to one another in mutual contradiction, as it were. Right? I'm a, I'm a violin, right? And, and you're a piccolo, whatever that is. And we look at each other and we say, we're so different. Initially, they stand or sit next to one another as strangers in mutual contradiction, as it were. Suddenly, the music begins. And they realize how they are integrated. Not in unison, but in what is far more beautiful. In symphony. I love that. You and I as Catholics believe that God is a very big God. And that Jesus Christ is not an American truth or a European truth. He is the truth. And that there is a truth that's big enough for everyone. Now, of course, again, I'm not going to go into this today. Of course, all of us, every one of us, has to be purified to come to him. You can't play. If you join the symphony of Christ, you still get to be your own instrument, but you can't play your own tune. You are obedient to the composition of God himself. But I think that happens pretty well here at Lourdes. And so I want to warn you of the opposite side. And so practical points for today. The beautiful thing about today's feast and about that symphony that God created in Christ, which is the church. The beauty of the church, brothers and sisters, is that everyone belongs. And the first point I want to make today is that as Catholics, when we look outside the church at the world, like today's Magi, who are not Jews, when you look outside, what do you see? And what I want to propose to you and challenge you on is that a real Catholic sees goodness. A real Catholic sees goodness. There is a certain type of Catholic or Christian in today's world that when they look outside of Christianity, all they see is evil. And I want to challenge you that I do not think, and that is not a Catholic mind. If all you see outside the church is evil, you are not thinking with Christ. This is massively important. Of course, people need repentance. Of course, cultures need repentance. Of course, they do. Of course, abortion's wrong. Of course, the modern sexuality in the world is completely broken. Of course, it is. And the people behind them are good. And two great examples of this in my mind are, in the second century, you have St. Justin Martyr. St. Paul does the same thing, but we're not going to talk about him because he's a chump. But just kidding, if you don't know me, I love St. Paul. But St. Justin Martyr says this, when he talks about the world, he says, God is a great farmer. 
And God goes out and he sows his seed for the kingdom of God. And he says when he did that, he sowed in every culture, in every time, he sowed what he calls the spermata tulogu, the seeds of the word. And so God sowed goodness in ancient Greece, in ancient China, in ancient Peru, in modern-day Canada, right? He sowed it everywhere. And the fullness is in Christ. The Christian looks out in the world and we see goodness. The second example of this is St. Thomas Aquinas. St. Thomas Aquinas is seen as the bastion the high point of orthodoxy, and he is, outside of Jesus and Mary. But Aquinas, today we think of him as this perfect Catholic who would see everything as evil outside the church. He wasn't that way. St. Thomas Aquinas was scandalous in his time. His number one source is the Bible. His second source is St. Augustine, and his third, his third source is Aristotle, who is a pagan. And he quotes him constantly because he saw goodness and truth in Aristotle. His fourth source is Averroes, who is a Muslim philosopher. And St. Thomas Aquinas was mature enough to find truth no matter whose mouth it came out of. And I hope you're the same. I hope you're mature enough, brothers and sisters, that you know there's goodness outside the church. If you don't know that, you'll never evangelize anyone. If all you see when you see people who aren't Catholic is you see someone evil, you will never bring them to Christ. But if you can see their goodness that God put into them, you can help that goodness find its way home to him. This is urgent right now in the Church of Denver. And I don't know if you feel the danger of us acting this way, but I do. There's a, there's a spirit in Denver right now sometimes where we only see good within the church. The second thing I want to point out here, and I'll move quickly through these last points. I want to talk about movements. The church is universal. It's for everyone. And a second thing we have to face in our time that's really important with that symphony is there's all kinds of movements in the church right now. And those movements and those apostolates are really good. So let me name a few. And all, every one of them is a good thing. Right? So we have Focus, and we have the Augustan Institute, which I always joke are battling to see who can take over the world first. But it's going to be lords. <laughs> but you have Focus, you have the Augustine Institute, you have Benedictine College, you have Steubenville, you have the Neocatechumenal Way, you have Communion and Liberation, right? You have all kinds of movements. You have Creatio, and all these things are good, but here's the danger. An immature Christian goes through a movement, and they love it, and they, what they do is they say, my movement is everything. F 
Focus, I love dearly. Focus is not the Catholic Church. Communion liberation is a very good movement. It is not the Catholic Church. The Augustine Institute is not the Catholic Church. The Neocatechumenal Way is not the Catholic Church. They are all good things. They are instruments in the symphony. They are not the orchestra. Oh, by the way, people do this with lords, too. Do you guys get this? I hear this secondhand. People will say, you know, I, I hear parishioners that say, like, Father Brian, you know, people will ask where I go to church, and they, I say, I go to Our Lady of Lords, and you can hear their eyes rolling in their heads, right? You're one of those Christians. And the people who say that, I don't know how, but I will find them, and they will get a beat down from your pastor. Do you see the point, though? It's important for us today on Epiphany to know the difference between things that are particular and are good and things that are universal, that belong to everyone, and that are of Christ. Massively important. And a sign, if you can do that, if you can distinguish between things that are universal and things that are good but are not universal, that is a sign that you are a mature Catholic. That is a sign of a mature Catholic. Finally today, I want to leave you with one last thought. And it goes back to our 20-something our on the airplane. So what if you were able to convince someone that, okay, maybe everyone can fit into the Catholic Church. Maybe we can all belong. Maybe God's kingdom is big enough for people who look different. Praise God. Isn't that wonderful? The diversity of the symphony shows us its unity in Christ. But one question remains, and the question is, is it good? Is it really good? Is God really good? He wants, does he just, is he just a tyrant or a narcissist who says, I need everyone to worship me? In today's readings, I want to leave you with a very powerful point at the end. God wants everyone in his family, not because he gains anything by it. God doesn't need us. He is perfect. He is infinitely and eternally blessed. He doesn't need a single one of us. He does not gain anything by us worshiping him. He invites us into his family because it's good for us. And here's the great sign of that in today's readings. In Isaiah 60, we have the prophecy of the Magi. And that was our first reading. It says, A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. Do you see what Isaiah 60 left out? It says they shall bring gold and frankincense. What do they leave out? Myrrh. You see, the Jews, God knew, and he promised them that all the nations would come, and they would bring frankincense to worship God. And they would bring gold because the Messiah would be king of the world. But Isaiah didn't know that they would bring myrrh. What's myrrh? John 19, 31 
Myrrh is what they will embalm the body of Jesus Christ with after he dies. And so the prophecy of the Magi that happens today is yes, God, Jesus is God. He is to be worshipped. And so we bring frankincense. He is king of the world. And so we bring gold. But Jesus did not choose to win the world over by force. He won the world over with myrrh. By dying for us. To show that God's reign is not tyranny. It's born of love. And so the church becomes the home of the nations because the Son of God loved us enough to die for us. And so Jesus, today, Lord, we love you and we adore you. And Jesus, I I pray for all of us, Lord, that we might enter fully into the symphony that you have created, the symphony of the church. We pray for all of those in the world who are not yet in that symphony. That they might know the joys of entering, that they might know they lose nothing and they gain everything when they enter. But Lord, may your death today, the myrrh that the kings brought, the magi, Lord, may your choice, your entrance into the world to die for us, Lord, may that win our hearts. May it draw all of us and all the world, may it draw us close to you.